Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco Sunday Morning Worship Service Podcast. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to uusf.org. While you're there, check out our monthly newsletter, Weekly Flame, and much, much more.
Good morning, everybody. And welcome. Welcome to this hour carved out of our busy lives to be together. I feel like this has been a really full week of people who have lost parents, who are um, recovering from emergency surgery, all kinds of things. And yet, probably, that's what's in the room every week. So we wrap our arms around each other in this hour for reflection, for gratitude and thanksgiving, for singing, for lighting candles, for taking stock. And we do it in one another's company, the blessings of one another's company. So welcome to our live stream folks, some of who are folks suffering from the flu, so we wish you a quick recovery. Welcome to everyone. If you are a visitor and you are here for one of the first times, you do not have to feel compelled. If you wish to raise your hand, and uh, that way we can identify you and reach out after service, please do so. So if you're here and you feel, yay, nice to have you here. I sat anonymously in the back of my home church for a year, so <laughs> I'm a big fan of space for anonymity. So welcome, lovely to be together. Let's join, as we do every week, in singing our first hymn. So I'll invite you to rise as you're able. It's in your gray hymnal, and it is hymn number 34, words you may recognize from 1 Corinthians.
you remain standing, we'll do our chalice lighting and recite uh, the unison prayer that we say with that. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. When, when I breathe in, is that too high? I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe out love. When I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe out love. When I breathe in, When I breathe out, I breathe out love. When I breathe in, I breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I breathe out love. If you'll remain standing, we can do our covenant and doxology now. Love, Love is, the, is spirit the spirit of this, this church, church and, and service, service is, is its, its prayer. This, this is our, is our great, great covenant, covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the, the truth in freedom, and to, and to help one another. Recognizing there is human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes, we ring our gong today in honor of two such places of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong in honor of the seven children who have lost their lives in federal custody in our detention camps. And we let its ringing those seven times stand symbolically also for the adults who have lost their lives in these camps, those who remain in them, many separated from their families, and for those who wait in makeshift refugee camps at our border, 
And this week, we ring our gong once additionally for our country, for the pain and price of division and the erosion of a call to serve higher ideals than party or ego. May we all be recalled to our better selves. And so we keep those who we have named in our thoughts and in our prayers and recommit to ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can. Helen Keller said, the most beautiful things in life can't be seen or even heard, but must be felt with the heart. I'd like us all now at this point to kind of link our hearts together, try and put aside the bad stuff. I don't have to spell it out. We're going through a lot of hard times, but link our love together and rise above that and prove through doing that that there's a reason we're all here. That's it. Short prayer today. <laughs>
What a beautiful choir we have. Thank you for your voices. I'm going to be kind of crass here and give a shout out to my mom, Anita Adams. She's trying to live stream me today from Montpelier, Vermont. So hopefully you're there. Hi, Mom. <laughs> In his book, Tales of a Magic Monastery, Theophane the monk relates this piece called The Audacity of Humility. I walked up to an old, old monk and asked him, what is the audacity of humility? This man had never met me before, but do you know what his answer was? To be the first to say, I love you. Love, love, love. As the Beatles sang, all you need is love. I tell you, if you're single, all the love vibrations of Valentine's Day can be simply a sad reminder of one's loneliness. Luckily, I have my old pal Nugget to thank for my love well not completely drying up. Nugget and I found each other at the San Francisco SPCA 12 years ago. I always tell the story of how he picked me. There were four other dogs running around the enclosure, but Nugget was out of the melee and up against the window. When I approached, he looked up at me, lifted his paw like this, as if to say, pick me, pick me. Now I find that it's a habit that he has that he does all the time. <laughs> so I always say that Nugget picked me and I just authorized the deal. Fortunately, being a veteran, I found that they had a program called Pets for Vets at the local VA, whereby they paid all of his adoption fees, shots, spay, neuter, etc making him a free rescue. Anyway, we picked each other and a great big unconditional love was born. Well, I've had girlfriends over the years, but it's never panned out into something more serious. Maybe it's hard to take a clown seriously. But one can become jaded or lethargic about the dating scene. Oh well, Nugget is single as well. <laughs> but that's one reason why I appreciate all of you. The healing love you engage in as a supportive, loving community proves out agape love. Agape, the Greek word for a love that is selfless, asks nothing in return. This congregation feeds and houses those in need, supports immigrants and minority rights, and helps people knit their lives back together again. When you're on the receiving end of this love, it can be very humbling and gratifying. Seeing others receive that love can be as soul-satisfying as a great Reiko organ solo or a soothing bell choir piece. So Valentine's Day doesn't have to be a complete downer just because I find myself a singletarian. There are so many events and programs up here for the entire community, and the balm or salve you seem to apply is that of unconditional love and understanding. When I was hospitalized for a while last year, I became the recipient of this warming cloak of love. So many of you reached out or came to visit, helped me care for Nugget, showed me that love has no boundaries. I feel forever in your debt and perhaps a little bit closer to, as the saying on the wall goes, finding the kingdom of God within myself. So this is an open Valentine to all of you. Let me be the first to say, I love you.
Now the offering for the works and ministries of this community will be both given and gratefully received. I'm a P in Myers-Briggs. Do you know what that means? How you wait and wait and wait. Deadlines are suggestions. So the reading, because I was debating too, didn't get put in the order of service. And then I spent the last two days at a poetry workshop with Jane Hirschfield and a silent meditation reflection time that surrounded it. And at that, one woman wrote a poem that I decided was better, maybe, than both the ones I'd been thinking about sharing with you, both of the readings. It's a draft by Casey Carmichael, a lay leader in her UCC congregation. And given this last week, even on this Sunday where we're talking about relationships, this seemed perfect the way, well, the way it winds together a relationship between uh, two spouses, but also our relationship with other things we love, like our country. 
It's called indivisible. This morning, after eating breakfast to the impeachment trial closing arguments, I lean against the counter, cupping warm mug to center of chest, other hand clutching last night's dinner napkin now, soggy with tears. He attacks the sink full of stew-crusted dishes in that clanking way that leads to little cracks and chips at the edges of plates, declaring we should target our cash into close Senate races, flipping that chamber of self-serving cowards. I am back in my schoolgirl dress, shoes, hand on heart, pledging one nation, indivisible. I am back at grandma and grandpa's proud farm, hearing the echo of Abraham Lincoln's horse clomping along their creek on his way to Springfield, our hometown hero, an honorable Republican. Culminating the 1984 Democratic Convention, I dance atop a folding chair in Moscone Center singing, celebrate good times, come on. Waving handheld flags, giddy, we'd been up all night rubbing made in China ink off the wooden dowels. Among millions marching through countless cities in my pink hat, I chant, me too. Did you know research shows the most common argument among spouses is, who's doing the dishes? <laughs> After $2,000 of couple therapy, we compromise. I cook, you clean. Today, the Senate chaplain wrung my heart with his call to do what is right with God. Today, the Pledge of Allegiance made me gasp for air. Today, House speakers told the truth, begging any who had ears to hear. I lean into my husband's back, still tackling the dirty sink. Tears deliver my prayers for opening ears and for opening hearts bigger than individual careers, opening as wide as what's possible, and for backbones as steady as daily dishes justice. Here ends our reading.
colleague who officiated most of the weddings that came into one of the larger churches in our denomination, as he had for years. So Richard Leonard had lots of stories of things going awry on a wedding day. He said years ago that he wanted to write a book about all of them and call it For Better or For Worse. <laughs> Favorite among the stories that I remember him sharing was the one of the service and reception that were supposed to take place on a boat in the East River as it cruised around Manhattan, except that while boarding the boat, there was a wave and it pulled away from the dock and the maid of honor lost her footing and fell between the dock and the boat into the river. And in that split second where people have a chance to react, three groomsmen decided that they didn't know if she knew how to swim and dove in. <laughs> Needless to say, they delayed the wedding until everyone could get back from the hotel having changed their clothes. A colleague of mine once did a wedding where the boy who was the ring bearer was also a boy scout and so worried that the rings might come loose that he tied them in a knot, the fiercest knot a scout knows. <laughs> and so the whole wedding was delayed until a Swiss army knife could be found. <laughs> and I, wishing for such a boy, once did a wedding on the coast, on the beach in Mexico, where the knot was so loose and the ring bearer so exuberant that while waving the pillow like a drum major waves his baton, we all watched, breath held, as the knot came loose and the rings flew, everyone suspended for a moment without breathing until they landed, told to stay where they were, while two people were appointed to walk very carefully to where they were sure they had dropped in the sand. We found them. In all cases, all went off in all these weddings, not without a hitch, but with one major important hitch, the most important having happened. In weddings, as in marriage, as in life, something is bound to go wrong. As unromantic as that may sound leading up to a wedding or Valentine's Day, it seems to me someone should just tell us that off the bat so we can be prepared. In preparing hundreds of couples for their weddings over the years, I ask myself constantly, what, what is it that helps us most to deal constructively with the stuff that goes wrong? And not just in marriage, but in all of our relationships. And part of what I've come up with, I think, are three virtues of love. I mean, there are probably more, but in preaching class they tell you never to go beyond three. So, for me, they are honesty, forgiveness, and devotion, which you also might just call persistence. There was a couple I knew and loved very much. They were married for 25 years and raised two children and created a successful business together. They seemed devoted to each other from the outside, and then one day she walked away. We'd all known there had been some issues. He could be insensitive, 
He'd gone out with the boys a few too many times and forgotten to call. He'd never gotten around to fixing that snoring problem that drove the whole family sometimes into the living room to sleep. Sure, he could be stubborn, but he was also smart and kind and generous. So why did it end? Well, there was no other person involved, no other love interest. The wife loved the husband still, but there was anger and resentment in her voice when she talked about things. And then one day she told a story about an afternoon when she was dressing for work and he was in the room and they were talking and he looked at her and he remarked that she wasn't the woman he'd married. And when she asked what he meant, he said something about how her figure had changed. She never said anything to him about it. Turns out he never remembered having said it. But she didn't forget. She needed to hear that he loved her and found her attractive, and he thought she knew all of that. She never told him she was hurt by the comment or asked him to apologize or go more gently with her. And not knowing he'd hurt her, he never did apologize or go gently or show adoration the way she wanted. And so she started laying bricks, one at a time around her heart as he made mistakes or she perceived them and she protected herself. And soon, soon the wall was so high and so thick that there was no getting through. It was a tragedy of sorts, and not an unusual one. Honesty feels like one of the most important ingredients to relationship. I mean, not that you tell a friend or a lover everything you think, right? Honesty can be a bludgeon, of course. But for the times that we need to name what comes or is in danger of coming between us, it's important. In particular, we need the honesty and the vulnerability and the courage to ask each other for what we need and want. It sounds simple enough, but I don't know that it is. It means knowing yourself really well, which I think actually is some of the hardest work there is in the world. For instance, you can say, I don't feel loved. You can know that much. But that's really just a beginning and not super helpful, right? I think the book, The Five Languages of Love by Gary Chapman has helped immensely in this, just to give us a way to start talking. I haven't even read the book, but I, but I know its central premise because it's so part of conversations now. How many of you have read the book? Yeah. How many of you think you know some or all of the premises of this book? Yeah. All right. There's a test online. I took it last night. So uh, it's very exciting to take the test uh, in the spirit of knowing thyself. Well, as far as I understand, 
It talks about what makes us feel loved and what makes others feel loved and how we have to know and speak the language that does that for one another, right? So there are some, for instance, who come alive to words of affirmation and others who are fed most deeply by touch. Some who feel most adored when gifts are given or when it's appreciated when they give one. Others like most acts of service, like when your partner or friend does something that you don't want to do when they see that you're stressed or you need it or you're tired, right? That kind of thing. And then there's quality time together. Someone listening, someone making space to be undividedly with us. As you listen to those, I wonder if you heard one or another of them that you know is pretty central to you. We all probably have a few. Knowing ourselves and knowing what we need to hear or feel or experience to feel that we're loved, to know that we are loved, is something that will help us be better together, to do that for one another. So in the story that I told, Words clearly mattered a lot to this woman in the marriage, and they tended to roll off his back. He showed his love through amazing acts of service and gave over-the-top thoughtful gifts. But that wasn't what tipped the balance for her. So honesty about what we need, what hurts, what makes us feel loved is key to thriving together. Honesty. And as the story illustrates, being able to forgive is key also to lasting relationships. I would love to meet the person who said, love is about not ever having to say you're sorry. <laughs> I would hate to be their friend. <laughs> They'd probably hate to be mine. <laughs> Actually, one thing I have always loved about the metaphor of the Garden of Eden was that it was some ancient wise people or person's attempt to remind us that we human beings are kind of bound to violate covenants and promises, right? Hard as we try, we will hurt each other. And here's the really tough part is that you and I know that often we will most hurt the people we love most. In those moments, forgiveness matters. And it matters in surprisingly powerful ways. Let me give an example to show this. I heard once that insurance companies used to tell doctors not to admit and apologize for mistakes they'd made. But some doctors didn't abide, knowing that the slip of a hand in error or a mistake in judgment had caused damage, that a life was lost or suffered more because of an imperfection, a mistake that they made mattered 
and the doctors admitted to their patients or to the families what had happened and how they felt about it, how contrite and sorry they were for it. And all that seemed unacceptable to the insurance companies, worried as they were about what it would mean in payouts, until they realized that the doctors who apologized had fewer malpractice suits. Funny, right? And true how anger, a desire for vengeance or to punish another, to shut yourself off and to hurt them, often vanishes when there is a sincere admission of wrong and the harm that it did to you. And even deeper than that, how someone who holds the tender hurt parts of us with reverence, with humility, with a renewed commitment to do that with deep care, gives us something powerful in that they allow us to trust them even more. Given the way our human hearts work then and our proclivity to make mistakes, isn't it clear how relationships can't survive without apologies? Well, they certainly can't thrive without apologies and forgiveness. Honesty, forgiveness, devotion. The first Spike Lee movie made for national distribution, any of you old enough to remember? Anyone remember? Oh, was it Do the Right Thing? I thought it was She's Gotta Have It. Is that it? Okay. Well, early on in it, as you may or may not recall, there's a scene where the protagonist, Nola Darling, shows us all the pickup lines that she's heard. It's one of the funniest scenes in the movie, each person more seemingly sincere and seductive than the next. Baby, it's gotta be you and me, says one. I know I only saw you for the first time in my life a minute ago, but I love you, says another. Please, baby, 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 please, baby, baby, says a third. And finally comes one man who says, without much pomp or show, Nola, I don't want a chance not seeing you again. Whatever you do, I'll do. Wherever you want to go, I'll take you. She is hooked. And who wouldn't be? Here's this person to travel with you wherever the road takes you. But of course, that promise is wonderful to give and super, super hard to live. Gwen Burens, who many of you know, who's the wife of John Burens, whose book we're celebrating today. John and Gwen, by the way, married my husband and I. I thought it was fitting that a couple marry a couple, and they're both important to me and to now to both of us. Anyway, I remember her saying that one of the things that she liked to tell couples about marriage is that it's like a rope. You know how some ropes have strands that are interwoven, right? 
She said, it's like a rope that has three strands woven together, and two of those strands are love, and one she called longevity. So she said, two-thirds of the time, I'll degenderize the language, two-thirds of the time you're with the doll because you adore them, and one-third of the time you're with the pain in the tuchus because you were with them yesterday. That's devotion, right? That's this perseverance part I'm trying to get to. Perseverance or devotion or whatever word you want to use, it, it's endurance, but it isn't just endurance, right? It, it assumes a lot of things. It assumes trust, trust in your partner, but trust too. If anyone has read Anne Murrow Lindbergh's Gifts from the Sea, which was one of the readings I was considered, she has this beautiful passage about the ebb and the flow of love and how most of us love when the tide comes out but resist in terror its ebb. Or to trust that, as Khalil Gibran says, or rephrase what he says, trust that in tough moments the winds of heaven will dance between you. And finally, maybe trust, existential trust, that there is something about just staying committed that opens doors that are somewhere worth going and that this might be the only way to get to. Now, mind you, I don't mean sticking in relationships when there is abuse or long-term neglect or when two people have grown so far apart that friendship or partnership must end so that other life-giving relationships have space to enter. But just this past week at the retreat, I sat behind this couple who'd been together for decades. I was able to talk to them at the first dinner because then we were in silence, so I wouldn't have known this. And I know one of them was facing a life-threatening illness, and I sat behind them and I watched when their eyes would lock, when a point was made that they both thought was important, or when one of them would reach out and touch the hand of another when a reading hit a note that resonated with their own hearts and lives. And it was gorgeous. This trust that's possible in friendships and in community too when we know each other over time so well. But also I think of a couple who once approached me at a reception for a wedding I just performed they said they couldn't help thinking about their own relationship, and when they did so, they thought back on the fact that all the couples they had been friends with when they first were married, the circle, social circle of young married couples, that all of them were no longer together, that they were the only ones still together. And then the wife said, and we realized that none of them faced anything we hadn't also. And at that moment, we knew what they meant, all the things that pull people apart. And then the husband added, but at each of those junctures, we simply made the decision to stay together. I remember being flabbergasted that it was this simple, that you can just choose in those moments to stay together. And they then held hands and walked away. Endurance, 
persistence, devotion, compromise. You cook, I clean. I forgive, I'm sorry. I need words of affirmation. I need you to put down your phone and actually give me your full attention so I know I'm loved. I need a present on my birthday that says you thought of me. I want you to push the hair out of my face once in a while and just kiss my cheek. I want you to bring the pizza next time we watch the game together. Love in friendship, in community, in life partnership, in a nation. It requires us to live up to its promise of sticking with it, of living the virtues and disciplines of being together. And over time, knowing we get stronger and deeper and wiser and better together. Honesty, forgiveness, devotion. As I say at the end of weddings, in words borrowed from a colleague whose name is long since lost in time, And may all who follow our lives with interest and affection have cause often to rejoice, and not just in our happiness, but in the brave and generous living we make possible for each other. I love you. Amen. Six hundred minutes, five hundred twenty-five thousand months a
remember the service and join hands. If you are sick or immunocompromised, just put your arms across your chest and we'll include you, but not infect you. And now in our comings and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us. Out from within us, be gracious unto us and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen.
The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.